Hey, Zeus, right? John McClain, I owe you one. Damn right you owe me. You got any idea what those guys are doing to my shop right Chill now? Chill out, hey, Zeus. Chill out? What the, the fuck? Are you trying to relate to me? Talk like a white man. Okay, Zeus, I'm sorry you got involved, Why you keep calling right? me Jesus? I look Puerto Rican to you. Guy back there called you Jesus. He didn't say Jesus. He said, hey, Zeus. My name is Zeus. Zeus? Yeah, Zeus. As in Father of Apollo, Mount Olympus. Don't fuck with me or I'll shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus! Welcome, 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 welcome to Best Film Ever. My name is Ian. And I'm Liam. And Liam, let's just go through the old ragamaroo again. We see a lot of films together, don't we, buddy? We do indeed. Well, at least we used to before this whole lockdown thing, which, you know, hopefully we're sitting here on the verge of it getting a little bit easier. So maybe, I mean, it's that it's that mix, because I, I don't know how you feel, but I'm sitting here going... I like the idea of being able to see friends and get together with people and da 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 da. And I'm also yeah. going, dear God, I don't want a second spike. <laughs> no, yeah, true. So, you know, I'm the guy who's going to be like, yes, I want to see my friends. But then, you know, you hear all about these large crowds gathering together, and I'm like, you're not two meters apart still. <laughs> so. I had that at work. Did you? We were busy at work, yeah. You never think there was lockdown at all. There are times I drive by some things and I'm like, it feels like people have just gone, all right, they've started to relax. We're not even officially relaxed until tomorrow. We record this on Sunday. And it's like, they're like, okay, they've said it's going to slightly, it's life back to normal. And it's like, no, it's, it's, it's not. No. So, um, such is. Uh, but um, for anybody who's new to the podcast, what happens is, um, well, I bought you a poster about 18 months ago that had the 100 films you're supposed to watch before you die. We said we were going to get through them all, and we got through eight in the span of about two years. Yeah. So we decided we we need some accountability, and also we decided, you know, we were having some good conversations. It's a shame that we hadn't sort of documented our journey, and that thus the podcast was more or less born. So each week, one of us brings kind of a film to the table, and we kind of kick around and go, is this the best film ever? Liam, do you remember what currently is our best film ever? I'm lucky for some, 13. Well, that's what episode this is. <laughs> you had the right answer, but it was the wrong question. <laughs> I was asking Liam, do you remember which film we currently have rated as the best? Oh, um, The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. And just out of curiosity, do you know what episode we're on, Liam? Number 13. We're on number 13. <laughs> Unlucky for some. Quick <laughs> Yes. So, uh, and we are joined, as we have been throughout the lockdown, by our two perma guests. So why don't you guys go ahead and say hello? We're the ones laughing in the background. I'm Ellie. Excellent. So, uh, today we are looking at Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Before we talk about that, though, just a couple of things. First, uh, again, Liam, we had another massive week on the podcast. It's just ridiculously encouraging every week to see the numbers get a little bit bigger. It's great, isn't it? It is great. It's so great. And uh, so if anybody's on this for the first time or for the 13th time, I think Liam told me we're on episode 13, um, if, if you've done that, thank you so much. And uh, it, it, it just uh, means a lot that someone would actually go ahead and go, yeah, we want to hear what this group has to say about, about these films. And if we could, if you really are enjoying it and you're going, what could I do to make them even a little bit happier still? 
What they could do, Liam, is they could leave us a really quick five-star review on their podcast, Catcher of Choice, especially if you've got Apple Podcasts. That always helps. And if you've got even a little bit more time beyond that, just a couple of words about, you know, why you like the podcast. Is it the, what is it about? Is it Liam's attention to how many episodes we've done? (laughs) (laughs) Is it me trying to find some punny way to finish the episode off? What is it that's going to sort of bring that around? And on the topic of feedback, a couple things, uh, a thing, a a sort of small segment I call reflections and corrections, because I have one of each, I guess, to sort of bring up. The first being that I made a mistake last time when I, we got finished the podcast, I edited it together, I put it out there and I went, am I really sure that Gladiator came out January 1st, 2000? I'm like, it feels like that would have been more prominent if that had been the case. And no, it was May 1st. I Somehow when I was doing my notes, I think I saw they started recording or filming January 99. And so I just kind of went January 1st, 2000s when it was released. But that wasn't the case. So I want to own that and go, it was May 1st. But Liam, you and I got into in our conversation, not an argument, maybe a spirited... Our conversation. <laughs> maybe a spirited debate. A spirited debate. Not even that spirit. But we said, what is the better film? Yeah. Is it Gladiator? Or is it Braveheart? And so we put it out there on the socials. And Georgia, what would those socials be? Uh, which podcast is this? Best Film Ever. They are at Best <laughs> Film Ever Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And I believe we're now on Facebook, Ellie. Is that right? We certainly are. Also, Best Film Ever Pod. Yeah, so Best Film Ever Pod through all of those mediums will get you to sort of weigh in. But I put some stuff out there and said, what's the better film? Is it Braveheart? Or is it Gladiator? And on the one thing, maybe like over 100 comments. Now, granted, 50 of them were like people commenting and 50 were me sort of responding or something like 65, 35. And the Twitter as well. And in both situations, there's about a two to one split that favored Braveheart. Braveheart is the more favored film. So I think at some point this year, maybe we'll have to dust off that and see... What Mel, so. See what Mel Gibson has to tell us about every man who dies and every man who truly lives and all that good stuff. So, so um, we're here today to look at Die Hard Avengers. Before we do, um, it's kind of, I think we should address this. This is the weekend um, that we have all, there's a lot of unrest in the United States. There's a lot of um, questions being asked globally. Um, and it's the, this week was the murder of George Floyd by, uh, police officers in Minneapolis and, uh, social, um, the, the march of social progress is, uh, is, is not over as, as we, as we can see, there's still some very real fundamental questions that need to be asked and answered and answered appropriately. And so, uh, it was interesting to watch this film with that sort of lens, going on and so it was really weird because this is about this is a is a summer blockbuster liam i mean this is kind of the i, I thought well it's the 25th anniversary of die hard with a vengeance and we're not seeing big blockbuster movies this year because of lockdown so i'm going to try and put as many blockbusters as i can on the podcast and sort of create that summertime feeling and then this film was really timely for what was going on so we're still going to review it with the sort of um, spirit in which I think the film's intended to, to be viewed, to be received. Yeah. But I think we'd be remiss if at times we didn't go 25 years on, where are we? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting kind of way to look about that. So is everybody okay with that sort of a mindset towards this? Mm-hmm. Yep. Excellent. Yep. So Die Hard of the Vengeance it is the 25th anniversary, like this weekend or last weekend. Like I purposely wanted to put this one in here. 
Uh, it was directed by John McTiernan. Now, it's interesting. Um, he directed the first Die Hard film, but he didn't direct the second Die Hard film. But then he came back for this one. So I put out there on my own personal social stuff, is Die Hard with a Vengeance? My, my, my theory was it's the most fun of the Die Hard movies. And I say even it may be the best of the Die Hard movies. And that's up for debate. But uh, I kind of agree with you yeah. because we take it in a different direction. I like the buddy cop movie. It, it, and that's a question asked that definitely as we go on was how, how, how good is this idea of pairing him up with someone not on the phone, not as limo driver waiting, but actually have someone there with him for large portions of the film. Yeah. 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 Well, really well. Uh, I've seen the first four. I didn't see the fifth one. Uh, I got as right. far as the fourth one with Kevin Smith in the basement. And I kind of went, I think Justin Long might be in that as well. And I kind of went, Okay, you're getting ridiculous now. He's taking down helicopters <laughs> with like his bare hands. I'm like, it doesn't feel right anymore. But I have seen them. But this was the first one that I saw, Liam. So maybe that's my bias is the fact that this was the first Die Hard I saw. How about yourself? Oh, okay. No, the first one was the first one I saw. Oh, okay. And I saw the second one and the third was the third. I saw them in chronological order. Excellent. Um, I still got a soft spot for the first one, but this... The third one, you don't. Ex- I think I didn't expect it to be as good, and I thought that'd follow the same pattern as the second, and it didn't. It totally surprised me, and I think that's why it's fundamentally my, one of my favourites mm-hmm. uh, because it surprised me. So yeah, yeah, Georgia, how about you? Um, so just during my like lifetime, I think I'd seen bits and pieces of Die Hard, like on the tv and that sort of stuff or like when dad was watching it but i'd never really paid much attention to it um until i was forced to watch the first one um so i have seen them all in chronological order um and i would agree i like the third one the best i think Mm -hmm. it's the funniest i think samuel l jackson in it is hilarious um but uh yeah so my experience with die hard has come through forced christmas time watching but i'm glad that it has been there (laughs) okay uh ellie uh, so this is the only Die Hard film that I've seen, and it was also this Christmas just gone that I that I first watched it. So it's quite unusual for me to see a film twice in such a short space of time. But interesting to look at it again. I still enjoyed it. But yeah, I've not got not got any knowledge of Die Hard apart from this. I guess it's a sign of a good film when you can go ahead and just watch it just a few months later and go, still totally enjoyed it. Yeah, I was a yeah. bit worried that that wouldn't be the yeah. case, but no, I, I did enjoy it today. So, uh, the script was written by a gentleman named Jonathan Hansley. And uh, Jonathan Hansley wrote this screenplay under the name Simon Says. And then he started <laughs> pitching it to various things. So, the thing about Die Hard is none of them are really original sort of properties. They're all sort of like scripts that are sort of taken and like molded for something else. But this third one, he had a deal kind of in principle in place for this to be part of a big action franchise. But it was not Die Hard. Originally, this was supposed to be the script for Lethal Weapon 4. Really? But because of, a, of an issue between 20th Century Fox and the producer Joel Silver, Fox wouldn't buy it and then give it to Silver to do it. So a couple years go by. And eventually, they put this on to. Um, sorry, eventually they put this on to Die Hard, as something that works because Die Hard had a different because they were looking for a Die Hard three, and they came across this script, and the script was called, oh, what have I written down here? It's called Troubleshooter, 
That was it. Troubleshooter. And the idea being that uh, John McClane would be at sea and terrorists would attack the cruise ship he was vacationing on. And <laughs> And he would have to stop it. And they said no to it because Under Siege came out. And so they had to give up on this thing. But if you're going, that's still a film that I think may have come out. You would not be wrong. Because this became the script for the ill-fated Speed 2. (laughs) (laughs) So if you think about the legacy that Speed 2 has, I don't think Georgia and Ellie from their reactions may be familiar with that. I I never... I never even saw Speed 2 all the way through. I saw a section of it. I haven't seen any of the films in any of the franchises you've just mentioned. Okay. But Speed 2, but like the, the legacy of Speed 2 is that it was terrible. And Die Hard of the Vengeance, I mean, I think people are going, it's a good, it, it's a fun film. But that makes sense then. If that was for Lethal Weapon 4, that makes sense why that's a buddy movie. Yes, absolutely. But isn't that crazy how it worked out that way? It is, it is crazy. And in early drafts, they also had imagined the character of Zeus to be female. Not named oh. Zeus, but the same sort of a thing. So it could have been... May- oh. Yeah, so it could be interesting how that, that would have gone. And it makes you go, who gets cast? Is it Whoopi Goldberg or something like that in the Zeus role? Like, think about the mid-90s. Who is that? Is it Halle Berry? I don't know who it is. Does she have enough edge? Really interesting kind of question. Um, so the director, John McTernan, said about the script... It's frail and outrageous and just hope people would have a good time with all the ridiculousness that was going to come through. This is the director saying this about the script. (laughs) But I think at the end of the day, it holds up despite that. Um, One of the reviewers from the Washington Post said about it, the best thing about this film is the relationship between John McClane and Zeus. Roger Ebert, who we often talk about on the podcast, said that Die Hard of the Vengeance is essentially a wind-up toy, cleverly made, and delivered with high energy. And it delivers just what it promises with a vengeance. So, that was it. I mean, and no one's claiming, I don't think, this is Citizen Kane. No. This is not the great... And I'm going to have lots of issues, especially with some of the plotting and the pacing as we go along. But I don't think you're going to go see a diehard movie for like a perfectly paced plot line or, or, or these terrifically well-rounded characters. I think you're going to have a good time and to see, yeah. you know, the good guys win, to see the bad guys lose. And this is a little bit of me kind of, I mean, our, our gimmick, Liam, if we have one, is that I'm kind of the more analytical, you know, film studies ask, look at what they're doing here. And your yeah. whole thing is that you kind of see it from like the heart and you kind of get caught up in, in, in the, the emotional journey they take you on. Sure. But I'm kind of leaving my gimmick to the side and going. Sometimes it's about going and having some fun at the movies. Absolutely. Yeah. So, ninety million dollar budget. It made three hundred and sixty six million worldwide, which makes it the wow. top film of nineteen ninety five in that respect. What did you see the statistics of the first one? Yes, this does what better. The- Wow. This does better. This actually, and this will be the last film they did make one in two thousand six. Eleven years later. But pretty much the grosses are almost the exact same for this one and the one 11 years later. And if you consider sort of the the inflation of film revenues, I mean, number three really kind of, I think if you look at it, number three, especially relative to how much the budget would have been, number three is the biggest financial success of any uh, any, uh, Die Hard movie. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. And this one I think probably felt most like a, a summer blockbuster. So. Definitely. Any ideas really quickly of the Rotten Tomato score? Let's go around the let's go around the ringer, shall we? 
because usually we have a criteria for, for this, but I've kind of put that a little bit to the side for Die Hard. Uh, start with Ellie. What do you think the Rotten Tomatoes score might have been? Oh, I don't know. I'm rubbish at these. Um, I've married 68. 68. Georgia. Because um, you mentioned that you usually have a criteria, but this obviously doesn't meet it because you said that. Um, 65%. Right. Liam. Uh, 78. 52%. Ouch. Almost as many critics dislike this as like this. And I'm going, it's diehard. What are you... Yet, the number four, which I think is absolute crap, is like, an yeah, right, 89, but... it's like 89%. It's, it's the highest of the bunch, critically. And I'm like, in what world? <laughs> in what world? And so, uh, one last thing. It's the only film of the 20th century. It would later happen in the 21st century where a film was number one globally at the box office, but did not finish up a top five in the American box office. So it, it only makes $100 million in the U.S., but foreign, the foreign market loves Die Hard for some reason. And it finished number 10 in the U.S. box office that year, which is insane. And the only ever one was Transformers Age of Extinction in 2014, <laughs> which I've never seen, so so much for that theory. But, no, we need Ethan for that. Ugh, I don't even know which one that is. It's definitely not the first Maybe. two. So, Die Hard. So we open up, and it is a shot of New York City. Because for the first time in the Die Hard franchise, we see John McClane at home in New York. And the working title for the film was Die Hard New York. Oh, really? Which, I mean... The, it, would, makes sense. it does make sense. And New York is very much a character in this piece. I mean, this is like a little love letter to New York in many ways. Um, and so we have the song Summer in the City. Liam, do you know who sings that? Because I don't. Um, I feel like I should know this because I know it so well. That's all right. But it's this great song, and just as you're getting, and it's this great montage of New York, and just as you're getting lulled into the song, and your brain's going, okay, it's going to be a montage for a couple of minutes, a department store blows up. Blows up. And right in front of the department store is a truck that says Atlantic Couriers. And it's funny, because when, um, oh my word, I've completely forgotten the bad guy's name from the first film. Alan Rickman's character, what's his name? Oh, it's gone out of my head too. Peter Gruber. Peter Gruber? Something Gruber. Gruber. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. We, those people all over going, you guys do not deserve the right to host a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not reviewing the first one. <laughs> I was about to say Gruber as well because right. he comes up ever so briefly in this film and I was like, no, I'm not going to say anything because I'll be wrong. But no. So in the first film, when Hans Gruber and his cronies get out in front of the Nakatomi Plaza Tower, uh, they're in a in a courier van called Pacific Couriers. So in the third one, it's Atlantic Couriers. And there's a lot of little winks and nudges to the first film as we go through here. Um, I also love the fact they play a summer song, and yet the other two are second winter. Well, in- yeah, this is the first time we're going, we can definitely say for sure, Die Hard with a Vengeance, not a Christmas movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, and this is where we get to... Um, we see, and all of a sudden now it's New York, and New York is panicked. There's been an explosion, and we cut to the inside of the NYPD, and it's chaos. And then they decide, all of a sudden, there's this thing where there's a phone call, and one of the lieutenants is trying to get a hold of Walter, Walter being the, uh, 
that the, the inspector, the, the the big boss. And at first she calls him by his, his like professional name and he won't listen to her. But then she calls him Walter. Then he goes, oh, that's the code for <laughs> this is important. I need to pay attention. And we hear the phone call on the other side. And it's someone who's looking for McLean. And we don't know why they want him. And we don't know how they're going to find him. And then we cut to John McClane, Bruce Willis, already in the typical white um, vest, you would say, in this country. Tank top, yeah. maybe you might say. Yeah. And typically in his, in his I'm going to die hard movie uniform, if you will. He didn't get to, <laughs> he didn't get to wear it in number two because number two, he's outside for most of it in the snow. But in number one, it's like we're in a diehard movie now. And he looks like crap because he is on the end of a full three-day bender. He's been suspended. And we still don't know why he's there. And this is something they say in, in film studies and media studies called the Enigma Code. When a piece of information is withheld from us. And that makes us want to see the payoff for it that much more. We don't know why he's being sent to this neighborhood. And what's the significance of it. And what exactly has to happen. And they keep it from us. And as they go down, we hear a couple of things that take place. We hear in the police report, 14 dump trucks were stolen last night. And, and they talk about it for just a couple of minutes. Enough so we're going to remember that later in the film. And then we, John asks about, the, and this one felt a bit forced. Hey, does anybody know the lottery numbers from last night? And like every cop in the van rattles off a number, but slightly not in sync. So it's supposed to feel genuine and organic. Like somehow if we were all together and said lottery numbers and like if Ellie started talking, like I wouldn't just stop and go, she's got it. No, no, we all have to say it because this shows that everybody knows. And then someone very, you know, in a very expository way says, come on, John, you know, half the cops in the city play their badges. He said, you still play yours? He goes, oh, yeah, 6991. And John even goes, 6991. And I'm going, okay, I'm guessing that may come back at some point in the future. And um, then we hear about Holly. Have you heard from Holly? And he goes, don't talk to me about my wife. And the funny thing is you might be asking in this film, where is Holly? Because Holly was a big part of the first two films. Well, Holly, who was played by... uh, Bonnie Bailey. Thank you, because I had a note, and I don't know what I did with it. She turned down the opportunity to come back for this film. So oh, really? kind of the, the whole gimmick being that she can't, he can't get her on the phone. Maybe even the punchline that she's a very stubborn woman. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how much of that might be kind of, uh, you know, just a, a bit of a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, a little bit of inside meta-ness in, in the script there. You know a strange fact. What's that? Me and Bonnie Bedelia share the same birthday. Do you really? The same year? Yeah. The same year and everything? No. Oh, no. Oh, you birth. never know. You never know. Oh, no. Hang on. No, no. You, you'd be younger than her. <laughs> weren't these films made in, like, the 80s? This one was 95. But the earlier ones, when were they? Uh, the first one would be, like, 85, 84. Yeah, like, mid-80s. So yeah. she would have to be older than Liam, then? She would. Yeah, yeah. I, I Unless she was, like, 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But there's this great line where Bruce Willis is sort of getting his kid off. And, he's, and he, says, uh, he says to this female cop in the van, you're the first woman to see me do this since Holly left. And she goes, I'm honored. And he just goes, yeah, so was she. <laughs> and I just went, it's, it's just so deadpan. It's like a little wink and a nod of this self-loathing John McClane. And so and he keeps saying things like, why do I have to do this? And we're never addressing what this is. And he goes, no, I don't know. Simon says you have to do this. And he goes, but where are you guys going to be? 
And oh, we're going to roll back to 140th or 38th, whatever it is. He goes, that's 10 blocks back in Harlem. And we're going, okay, so this is obviously significant. And so he gets out of the van and they put a sandwich board on him. But again, we're not shown what's on the sandwich board. We're not going to have really that payoff clever. just yet. But we can see it's Harlem and there are people all around and some tough looking guys. And you see too. other people's reactions to well, him as well as he's part, walking. Because the first one they show us is he walks by this sweet little old lady in Harlem, this mm-hmm. sweet little old black lady. And she just looks and he looks mortified he looks guilty and uncomfortable and we're like what is on the sandwich board and then we get a shot from like behind a van and the van pulls away and he sort of turns in it's a great reveal shot i'm not that big on the cinematography and the film in general but this was great and it has written on it i hate and then it says the n-word on the bottom of it in harlem and so the true story behind this is is that the sandwich board is blank when he's filming it they added this in in post there was a couple yeah. of things added with CGI. This is probably one of the best things you see video with CGI. So, so I remember you saying that when we watched it um, at Christmas. So I deliberately watched it and to see if you could tell that it was CGI, but yeah. I didn't notice anything. So it was quite a well done. I mean, it's not on the screen for long, but obviously quite well done because I couldn't pick any fault with it. There's a misnomer. People think it says, I hate everyone. Because if you look at like the ones that appear on uh, like airplanes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. it'll have that version of it. But that's actually, that was put in CGI as well. So, you know, ra- rather than go, let's take everything off and then replace this word with that word. It's just easier to leave it blank and just put two different messages on it. Yeah. So, uh, and then just before he gets left alone, though, he said to them, he said, we'll be back for you in 20 minutes or 10 minutes. He goes, he goes take your time. I expect to be dead in four, which is an interesting little <laughs> note. Then we cut to Zeus. Zeus played by Samuel L. Jackson. And who... This is the first of a couple actors, I'm going to say. Who had a better mid-90s than Samuel L. Jackson? Oh, no. Because he had Pulp Fiction and he had this in back-to-back years. I mean, he really was massive. And those two films back-to-back made him a megastar. Yeah. But he was not the first choice for the role. It was written with somebody else in mind who turned it down because he didn't want to be doing a supporting role. It was offered. Sorry? I'll be intrigued to hear this. It was offered to Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne. And he turned it down. Lawrence Fishburne, you might know from the second Ant-Man movie. You might know him as Morpheus from The Matrix. Yeah. Just for for a couple of things. And um, you can see clearly, I think, from the way his costume is set up and his personalities in the film, he is based off the historical figure of Malcolm X. Mm. Like there are elements of that which apply to him. Yeah. And rather than this um, in, in civil rights, uh, generally throughout uh, kind of the civil rights movement onward, there were two sort of main leading figures who rose to prominence. One is Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin Luther King Jr. was about, you know, love and uh, uh, nonviolence. And if someone turns the hose on you, you take it and you win the battle that way. Malcolm X is, we are peaceful with those who are peaceful with us. But if you show us aggression, we will show you aggression right back. And he's very intelligent, and he wore very prominent glasses, and usually was, was, was in a uh, fancy button-up shirt. And that was kind of the way he presented himself. And we see that in Samuel Jackson's character of Zeus. Uh, Samuel Jackson said this character is the closest of any he's ever played to his real-life personality. <laughs> and I'm like... Well, it's kind of like they just said, go ahead and just be you, isn't it? I, 
quite like that. Like, like to be fair though, most of most of Samuel Jackson's characters kind of feel like they're saying "just be you." They are, yeah, like yeah. Nick Fury, it's like that. Samuel, even when he's like um, in Star Wars, you're like, "This is just you being Samuel Jackson still." <laughs> and there's a great bit where his two nephews come in and they've got a stereo but some guy is using them as like um, mules to sort of pawn off on this i love this scene and he goes you know there's all these st- and the kids are terrible liars and they quickly find out that the story changes for me oh tony found it in a dumpster too no he said his uncle gave it to him remember and then he uh zeus asks the eldest to hand him that newspaper and he goes great and he grabs his paper and he smacks the kid in the head with it <laughs> and he says don't let other people use you and there's this great back and forth questioning about where you're going when you go to school. Why is that? To be educated. Why is that? To get a good job. You know, so who's going to help us? No one's going to help us. So who's going to help us? We got to help ourselves. And who do we not want help from? And in unison, the kids go, white, white people, people. <laughs> which is great. Um, it kind of reminds me, there was this Gillette ad that came out a couple of years ago about um, men holding other men accountable. And it's this great little bit where, like, there's this dad and a daughter, and they're, like, looking in the mirror today, and he's like, I am strong. The daughter goes, I am strong. And it was just like, it, I think having those sort of things where you instill positive values in, in children are always really, really powerful. Uh, but two boys are brothers in real life. Oh, cool. And the eldest would go on to play a role in the next Die Hard film as a different character altogether. But he would get a second. He would get, I guess, you know, no one's going to reckon, hey, he was a little kid. <laughs> you know, in 11 years, he probably looks a little bit different. But it was kind of interesting that somehow, you know, maybe he made an impact. And they went, yeah, all right, bring him back. Um, and so we cut. Uh, f- finally, they go, uncle, you got to see this. You go, why? The white man. He said, well, I've seen that before. He goes, not like this. And then we cut around. I think this might actually be where we get the focus pull yeah, and we see the, the name. Yeah. And so um, Zeus comes out and talks to McLean. He says there's a voice to call 911 because someone's oh, about to get someone's killed. Someone's about to get killed. <laughs> and so he gets out there and he's really quite calm um, or at least soft-spoken, angry, but soft-spoken. But the whole time their conversation's going on, Liam, I don't know if you noticed this, but the 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 group of young uh Sort of that, that sort of gang stereotype is what they want you to, to think from this. Yeah. They are just in the back of the shot and they yeah. are just out of focus. And that's yeah. really clever because I think that says to us, look, they haven't noticed yet because if they did, they'd be in focus too. Yeah. Which I thought, I, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Really, really clever. And so yeah. he starts talking and he goes, Do you want to die? Do you have a problem? You know, a man standing in the middle of Harlem with a sign that says what it says. Samuel says, says the words because, you know, um, Samuel. he can, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to use that word, but he, but he can, um, yeah. and has made a career out of saying it to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he goes ahead and says, you know, you may be not thinking straight. And then finally he goes, did you hear about the explosion today? And he goes, yeah. He said, that's what this is. This guy says, if I don't do this, he blows up another building. And at this point, a basketball from the group of men in the background goes flying into the street and the guy runs the street, picks up the basketball, and I guess from this vantage point, he can see the sign better. And you just hear him go, what the? Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so Zeus tells him as they're going down, you know, make sure that you, uh, you know, I th- act like you're mentally ill. Act like you're, you're in trouble. He escaped from Bellevue. And he's not really feeling it until one of the guys, like, throws a knife right into, like, where his chest would be in the sandwich board. 
And then he starts buying in. They start beating him down. And they cut off the sandwich board and punch him to the floor. And at this point, you can see he's got a gun duct taped to his back, which is a trick that was actually used in the first Die Hard movie. It There's was. a gun duct taped to his back. So there's a nice little bit of a callback. And so um, Zeus grabs the gun and threatens all the other guys off. And they get in a cab and they speed away. And so there's a nice little bit where McLean tries to thank him for everything he does. He goes, hey, hey, Zeus, thanks a lot. And about the third time he says it, Samuel Jackson goes, why do you call me Hey Zeus? He said, that's what the guy called you. He called you Hey Zeus. He didn't say Hey Zeus. He called me Hey Zeus. Mount Olympus. Don't hear I'll stick a lightning bolt up your Zeus. At which point I went, this is the intro for the podcast this week. And he said, do I look Puerto Rican to you? Do I look Puerto Rican to you? So, but just in that moment, like the chemistry is already here and we're only this, you know what I mean? I don't know what really shot him in, but the script writing is just, you clearly get who these two characters are. I love it. They're both tough, independent men, but they're going to be a bit abrasive. Yeah. Do you know what I think it worked? Because the chemistry between them, if the chemistry wasn't right between them, I don't think the film would have worked. Well, keep in mind, they had done uh, Pulp Fiction just the year before together. When did they do Unbreakable? Oh, Unbreakable's like 99. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. So they have... So they must have a good working relationship. Well, they appeared together in a lethal weapon spoof called Loaded Weapon. Yeah, they did. Back in 93 or 92. Then they did Pulp Fiction, then this, then Unbreakable, and then Glass later, like last year. So they've done five or six films together. So, But there is an easy chemistry between the two of them, and it works really, really well. I think it works really nicely as well after you've had that kind of quite... Although he's kind of lecturing the kids, it's quite a tender scene. You can tell that he cares about them, and he's instilled kind of good principles in them about looking after themselves and stuff. And then you get this kind of aggression from him. Obviously, you would be aggressive confronted with that sign, but you just kind of get to see a completely different side of him. And also, in the attempt to like deconstruct stereotypes, we had a very stereotypical here's what Harlem is scene at the start. We have the big stereo music, the really guys who work out all the time, and violence and aggression and profanity. And then we get Zeus, small business owner, right? And when he grabs the gun, he clearly has no idea what he's doing with it. And he's panicking. And that's really interesting because that's going to be a bit of a theme throughout is that <laughs> Zeus is kind of, for all his intellectual, whatever, he's, he gets in over his head and kind of acts as such and isn't comfortable with violence. Far from it. And very much not comfortable with guns. Very much not comfortable with guns. So then they get back to the precinct and they're sort of talking about what happened. And um, there's a phone call. And the phone call is from Simon. Our, our bomber is phoning back again in this wonderful East German accent. And um, he, he starts talking about how McLean didn't die, and that's good, but wants to speak to who he calls the Good Samaritan. Sorry. And they get on the phone, and um, Zeus kind of uh, has a bit of a, a talk back to him, and he hangs up. And in this scene, there is the, I don't know if he's the world's worst shrink, or like everybody else is like wowed by really obvious inferences. <laughs> because he hangs up and then the tree goes, he'll call back. He'll call back. And the phone rings. And we're like, wow. And I'm like, what else is he going to do? This is clearly like some sort of a, a motivation. So at which point then the, the inspector, who I really liked in this film, I thought he was, I didn't bother enough at the start to write his name down because I was like, oh, Walter's not going to be that important. But actually, I really like Walter over the film. 
And he starts kind of going, if you're after McLean, it's not worth it. He's two steps away from being a full-fledged alcoholic, to which point Willis goes, one step, (laughs) one step. (laughs) And he's like, but he goes to real places. His own wife doesn't want anything to do with him. He's suspended. Nobody here can stand. And he's looking at him like, although I'm saying hurtful things, I'm not really trying to hurt you here. And he calls him a toilet bug. Calls him a toilet. Yeah, he's a toilet bug. (laughs) I'm going to start using that insult. And so... But at one point, Bruce Willis, um, John McClane, challenged him to come down here and we'll, we'll solve it like men. Like somehow in the movie, you're just going to go fight in the parking lot of the, of the precinct. Make it a lot of a shorter film. It would. It would, it would just be over yeah. in about five minutes. But he starts stuttering and stammering and a little bit fake. Uh, but at which point then it ends and, and he goes, look, uh, I want you to do this. I want you to go across to um, a certain location. Please go ahead and do that. Uh, off you go. And then he hangs up and they go, whew. And they look at the shrink and the shrink goes, whew. Oh, I know, but this definitely has to do with you. He really wants to hurt you in a specific way. And I'm, and everyone's like, wow. And I'm like, I mean, wow. He just went up to Harlem with a sign that said, I hate that word. Like, he's, he's, he's not the amazing Kreskin or, or Mystic Meg, is he? No. He's going, you couldn't buy him off. The talk of money just enraged him further. I'm like, at what point do you start bringing something unique? <laughs> and the audience is going, yeah, I got that. <laughs> um, and so uh, then comes in a, a, a nice fun character, Charlie from, from the Bomb Squad. I love Charlie. Because they go, this Charlie's guy. Charlie's my favorite. Well, the best part was they go, this guy's a psycho. And then from out of the room, Charlie comes in going, a psycho who knows a lot about bombs. And I'm going, okay, there's one, two possibilities. Number one, he's got supersonic hearing and somehow yeah. heard that through a very noisy bullpen. Number two, he's waiting outside going, I need a really good entrance line. And wait until he's a psycho. I, I, I can do that. I can riff off this because he comes in. Uh, and so he starts kind of talking about this um, bomb they found in a briefcase. And you open it up, and either it's got two liquids in it, and either liquid by themselves are completely harmless. And to prove this, he, like, slams his shoe on, like, one of the chemicals. <laughs> I love how his little eyes light up as well, and he's got such a big smile on his face oh, while he's talking about it. It's Christmas to this guy. And it then is, yeah. he hey, it's a Christmas film. Yes. He, he has a lot of Christmas references. He grabs a paperclip, though. And he starts, like, putting a little bit of each version of it on uh, both liquids on the paperclip. And then he makes them stand apart. And he throws it into this bullpen that's full of people. And it, like, like, uh, knocks a chair over and makes a big bang and explodes. And so they they yell at him. But we get the idea. This is for us. Because in any other movie, they'd pull him to a different room and show him this. But this is so we go, oh, this stuff is bad. And they go, how much of his stuff got stolen the other day? And they're like 4,000 4,000 pounds or 4,000 gallons or something like that. And they go, well, that's okay. Clearly we have to do what he says. Cause he might blow up another building. Uh, as they have him on the phone again, though, uh, they're trying to trace the phone call. And, um, it turns out that Simon is one of the first guys ever to use a VPN. Cause they can't track this guy anywhere. Like at one minute he's in like Istanbul, but he's in Oslo and he's somewhere else. None of you guys know what a VPN is. I'm guessing, huh? Yeah, I know what a VPN is. Oh, it's a virtual yeah. global network. Okay, I thought it was a funny joke. We no talked one, about it the other mm, day. Well, you know. Um, so the shrink continues up with the eyes, but Zeus has decided he's not helping. He is leaving. It's got nothing to do with him. And he storms out of the room, at which point they, Bruce Willis goes to someone, hey, where'd they find that bomb? And they go, Chinatown. He goes, dang. <laughs> so he goes on out and then lies to Zeus and tells him, hey, where do you think we found that bomb? We found that in Harlem. 
So you might care about color, but this guy doesn't, you know, but he does this argument to sort of pull him in, which is ironic because later on that would pay off. Yeah, it would pay off. So, um, so game number one, they have to get to a phone booth. And so they rush across to this phone booth in the appropriate amount of time. So he goes, let me ask you a question. Why did you help me? And he goes, I didn't help you. I stopped a white cop from getting killed in Harlem. And if one white cop dies in Harlem today, tomorrow there's like a thousand cops in Harlem, all with itchy trigger fingers. And this was one where I went, oh, that feels, that feels a bit, a bit on the nose, a bit on the nose for, 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 for especially for, what's happening with even in the peaceful protests at the moment. I saw a picture of a child that had been maced in the face. I saw that. I protesting. It's I saw. It's horrible. I saw a scene from New York where uh, a car, a police car plowed forward into a bunch of protesters yeah and it was ju- it, and it's a diff man I, I, I can't imagine doing that job i can't i can't no. and i can imagine it's probably never been more stressful than it is right now but um you can't do that obviously There's ways to handle ob- ob- things, obviously obviously you can't do that i mean <laughs> i feel like it's a big revelation i mean it, but but it's just <laughs> just as useful as the shrink in the previous I, scene. I, I am the shrink in the previous <laughs> scene. you can't do that oh that's he's right you can't do that <laughs> so they get to a phone booth and the problem is there's a woman on the phone and bruce willis tries as I mean, he's as nice as cop you can be oh man police business can you i don't care well police business really need you i don't care it's my phone and Samuel Jackson just like slams the receiver. Get off the damn phone. And then she walks away. What? I never. He's kind of like, I get used to this. Because <laughs> I think up until now, Zeus's character has had the aggression, but without any sort of institutional backup. <laughs> now he can do both. Um, and so they phone Simon and they say, why were you late? And he goes, well, we had a little problem. And then there's a bit of thing. He goes, well, why didn't you? He goes, no, no. You could have simply said there was a fat woman on it. And they're like, oh, shoot. They can see me. He's watching, yeah. And so this is where we get to game number one, which is the riddle about I met a man from St. Ives and that man had seven wives mm-hmm. and each wife had seven cats and each cat had seven sacks. Sacks, cats, thumbs, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? And we find out that Zeus is a better guy with math than I am. And I have to think I'm pretty good. But I couldn't get, I got like three steps deep. I couldn't get the fourth one. I got to like three, seven, seven's 49 times seven is to uh, 343. And he goes, no, 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 it's not it. It's not it. It's one level deep. So he goes, it's just the guy. The phone number is one. At which point, Bruce Willis is an absolute moron. He goes, how do I dial one? What do you mean I got five, 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 zero, 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 one. And they phone it and he goes, oh, you're late. He goes, no, no. He goes, you're 10 seconds late. No, penalties are penalties. And if he hadn't have, like, had to explain to him, like, what do you mean? Five, you know, they, could, they would have been on time. But he goes, no, I'm sorry. There is a penalty. And so they both run the other way. So he goes, bomb! And they dive and sort of on the ground. And nobody moves. And they kind of go, Phew. And then you just hear the receiver as it dangles with him laughing. Laughing, yeah. Now, and someone just says, welcome to New York. And I'm like, you know what? 364 days out of the year, I totally buy this. New York is crazy and you have some whack-a-moles. A bomb went off in New York like two hours before this. If yeah. you're screaming bomb and hitting the deck, people aren't just like, welcome to New York. <laughs> would they know about it? And no one's Zeus, Zeus rush, knew, it. would you know about a bomb going off in your city? It's a small city. Ray, 
radio and it was only a couple of hours ago you might not have oh there would be buzz yeah. Zeus had heard about it in his shop. He said, hey, you heard about that, that bomb that went off? He went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So is Zeus the only guy listening? I know he's got a, maybe he was listening to Tony's radio, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So um, we find out then there's um, game number two. They have to get on the number three train. But they've only got something like 30 minutes to get across town. But they can only use civilian uh, forms of transportation. And so they run off on the second little game. And to be fair, what do you think about the storytelling device? The idea of these games to give us little chapters and quests and things like that. The Simon Says sort of system, if you will. Yeah, I quite like it because it gives you something to like look forward to every like 10, 20 minutes or so, rather than getting bogged down in something that you go, wait, what was that? What am I supposed to be following? It's quite easy to kind of keep track of things. Because even though you know you've got like an hour left of the film, so it's not going to end it, you go, okay, so now we're moving on to the next thing. And it's mm-hmm. actually quite interesting and exciting rather than kind of going i can't follow who all these people are where's the next fight happening because you like a bit of adventure a bit of excitement i like that the first explosion of this film was less than two minutes in but like yeah. it's it gets you excited for it um i think it's interesting how it juxtaposes like something as serious as a bomb with like mm. these like childhood like little quests and challenges and games yeah. i like it and i think it it does add excitement, like Georgia was saying, but I wouldn't exactly call it a storytelling device because I'm well, I'm not sure the film has not an a awful storytelling, lot but just like a pacing device, if you will, just a way yeah. to kind of put it into like almost episodes. Yeah. And then when you get used to that, and there's too much together, they'll, eventually they sort of split that up, even, and they kind of go different ways. So they go ahead and they commandeer a taxi, and off they drive. And uh, Bruce Willis says, "I know a shortcut through the park," and, they, and it sort of there's a traffic jam, and so Jackson goes. I told you Park Avenue would be jammed. He said, I didn't say Park Avenue. And he makes a hard left and goes through Central Park. I went and said through the park. And they go driving through it. And at one point, um, Samuel Jackson's freaking out going, do you even know what you're doing? He goes, uh, he goes no, relax, relax. I know what I'm doing. And he just goes, not even God knows what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and so they go ahead and they, um, they get to just outside of this... Um, station. They, they they have a little gimmick where they like comment. They they fake lie about a, a cop being shot so they can follow behind an ambulance uh, to get them through this traffic jam. But then they get to sort of a halfway point and they decide they need to split up. And Bruce Willis is going to go and catch the train and get on it and investigate it from within. And Samuel Jackson will be there to get the phone call at at, at the receiving station. And if one of those two things happen, they figure they'll be okay. Now, as this is going on again, they're screaming, you do this and I'm going to go get that bomb, but you go get the phone, but we can't let it blow up. And like a bunch of people are just walking by them, (laughs) going into the subway. And I'm going again. It's been like two and a half hours since something actually blew up in New York. Like you would not be going business as you. Oh, la di da di da. (laughs) If I heard there was a bomb explosion earlier that day and someone's talking about as I'm going to the subway, I'm like, maybe I'm not going in the subway. (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's yeah. not happening and then we find out it's really easy to like break into the underground of new york city you can just lift ridiculous. up any grate and you can just drop in <laughs> like think about it i mean kids being kids and, and just stupid being stupid people if you could do it that easily like these trains would just be pelted with crap all the time mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's like all high impact, no accountability, da 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 da. But thankfully, it gets Bruce Willis on top of a train, which is what we need it to be. 
So rather than do speed two, it was the end of speed one. Um, meanwhile, though, I'm back in the cab. Uh, they're out by Wall Street, and this Wall Street yuppie gets into the back <laughs> of the cab and tells him he wants to go somewhere on Wall Street. And he goes, no, 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 I'm not in search. He goes, hey, your light's on. I'll have your medallion. And he looks and goes, what? You don't like white people? <laughs> and it's the best joke for the best kid. He just goes, Wall Street, all right. And he just drives like a maniac the whole way there. And they're not in the, in, they don't overstave a joke, but they do leave him a couple minutes later, just completely terrified in the back seat as he gets out. Um, back to Bruce Willis in the train. He's looking up and down and all over and finally sees this box that says call police, which I guess is similar to what we have in this country now with the like, there's, there's like railway police sort of signs or things like that. And you can kind of call railway police. You know what I mean? Transit police. Is that what it's called here? I have no idea. Uh, transport police. Transport yeah. police, yeah, yeah. And you can call them and they'll like, get on the, the train at like, the next stop if there's anybody being antisocial. Yeah. So I guess they've got like, a yellow box. It's a direct line to the cops. But they grab the box. He opens it. It's the bomb. So he goes walking through again. <laughs> through which, for most people are just like, kind of just like annoyed he's getting in their way until the very, very end when he asks him to get to the other side. Um, and while that's going on, Samuel Jackson has arrived at his destination and comes down. And for the second time in about 10 minutes, somebody's on the phone. And this guy won't get off the phone. And so he has to do the screaming thing and hang up. But a cop who's seen him um, jump the turnstile now tells him to freeze and has his gun drawn. Which, again, Mm. talk about, like, you know, is this a a proportional response? (laughs) Uh, Hell no. And he's got the no. gun pulled on him, and it's like, well, what do you do? And you know, so Samuel Jackson's looking at, look, literally looking at the barrel of the gun, and says, "If you gotta shoot me, because the phone starts to ring, then you shoot me." But I gotta answer this phone, and he goes from the screaming voice to just this quiet, "Hello." <laughs> and Simon informs him that, well, we all didn't make it. As a penalty, I'm going to blow up the train. But at this time, we pretty much see from. Outside of both the perspectives, we get a camera shot from along one of the rails, and the train goes over this sensor of sorts that starts to trigger the bomb. And so John McClane sees the two liquids start to mix, which means the bomb's about to go off any time now. And he sort of gets out there, and he throws it out the back of the train, and it blows up, and it causes the train to jump the tracks, and yada, yada, yada. And we see people scarper out of the way of this runaway train in the underground, and those people, Liam, who were running away, they're stuntmen, yeah. but they're not acting because that train was going 45 miles an hour when they shot that scene. Wow. And they were just getting out of the way. <laughs> no acting there. That's so, crazy. Uh, There's a really yeah. nice bit as well where the, the cop's not going to move out of the way and he's just kind of struck like a like a rabbit in headlights in front of this train and then um, Samuel L. Jackson sort of pulls him out oh, of the way. Oh, does he really? I missed him. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, really, really interesting. Yeah, he saves the guy that was willing to shoot him for jumping a turn. Yeah. yeah, it's quite and it's, it's quite nice. <sighs> timely as well. Just back yeah. to that timely. Um, and then so Samuel Jackson's out, sees all the smoke and goes down looking for it. And we get this great hero shot of McLean coming out from behind the uh, the wreckage of this train the lights behind him, so he's backlit in this hero messiah. You know, he is Subway Jesus, you know, coming back to go, Subway I'm okay. Subway Jesus. <laughs> and I want Subway to do Subway Jesus. Subway Jesus. 
And so they kind of get out of there and they, they get taken into another van. And here they meet a guy from the FBI and they meet someone who says he's from another agency, which I'm assuming means the CIA. It's always like secret services, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a guy in the backseat who we don't know yet. And generally they ask him a lot of basic questions. And then finally, they let them know what's. We get our, this is where we get our murderers row. We get this guy from hung, this Hungarian thug, and then we get this woman who's with him. He goes, "Who's that?" Well, oh, that's his. That's his girlfriend. That's his wife. That's whoever. Um, they put a bomb in their sheets. They think they got her. Okay. And then we get this other one. Go, what is this? He's uh, Peter something something. And they go, "Okay." He goes, "No, I don't know who these people are." Well, it turns out that Peter so and so was born Simon. Peter Gruber. And there's like a pause. Like Bruce Willis dun, dun, isn't dun. Bruce Willis isn't bright enough to sort of pick it up. And he goes, he's Hans Gruber's brother. And in case we as the audience can't pick this up, we then have a flashback to the end of <laughs> Die Hard 1, where Alan Rickman, Snape, is falling. Well, in fairness, if you've not seen Die Hard 1 or 2, like myself, then that's useful. If you've not seen Die Hard 1, showing us a clip from Die Hard 1 isn't going to help you out any, is it? Are you like, I totally get it now? I get it enough yeah. for this story. Well, no, they say he's Hans, he's Hans Gruber's brother. So the shot of him falling doesn't... Because they make reference, I threw him off the top of a building. Well, yeah, but it's, <laughs> a, it's just a helpful visual, isn't it? Okay, it so the visual... you an idea of what happened in the past. <laughs> I gave you a... so, so the visual made you go, oh, they're not lying. He really did throw him off the top of a building. Yeah. <laughs> but then they refer to as, you know, that thing in L.A.? Oh, yeah, that thing in L.A. Oh, you mean Die Hard 1? Yeah, I get that. That thing in L.A. <laughs> I referring to it as that thing in L.A. Um, and so we get another phone call here, and this is where Simon then all of a sudden says... Uh, I know who so-and-so is from the FBI. I know that there's Buddy from the CIA there. He's still chewing on your glasses, trying to butch up, at which point he's literally doing just that, which is brilliant. And then he tells him there's a bomb in a school. And if you guys can't find which one it is, uh, I blow it up. Uh, You cannot evacuate the schools, and you cannot tell anybody. And by the way, you can't use radio frequencies today either. Because it'll blow up. Because it'll blow up is the threat. And so they go ahead, and meanwhile, they tell, um, he says to McLean and Zeus, you have to go to Tompkins Square Park, which is the name of a Mumford and Sons track. So I was kind of going, hey. But you've got, it's too much. You with your your lockdown beard, doing your best Mumford and Sons impression. (laughs) And they were going, it's two two miles, and you got half an hour. And I'm going, two miles, two miles, half an hour. How far is that? It's about three and a half kilometers. It's not super, it's like 3.2. It's not super far. It wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be a huge challenge, but you'd be. I mean, even me, I'd be out of breath when I got there for sure. Not that I'm some great runner, but you know what I mean. Like it's not. These are just two random guys. I mean, and and, and McLean's got a hangover. Like he's made that quite clear from the start. This guy's hungover. He keeps asking. He keeps having a headache and popping aspirin, which is funny because we learn that our main villain, Simon Gruber, also he has a. He has suffered from chronic migraines. And so we have, a, we have a similarity between our hero and our villain, which is always great when they do that. So then we see an overhead shot of all the cop cars just clearing out. And there's no one left. And it pans up. It zooms out. And then it pans down. And we get Jeremy Irons, binoculars in hand, going, oh, it looks like they bought it. <laughs> and Leo, I'm going to say this for the second time in the podcast. Did anybody have a better mid-90s than Jeremy Irons? Because he was Scar 
in The Lion King in 1994. Oh, he was, yeah. And then in 1995, he gets to be in this film and is very good in this film. Yeah. He's very, very good. I tell you what, watching this for the second time, because I only watched it for the first time at Christmas, I we got to this bit and you get Jeremy Irons on the roof laughing and saying, oh, I guess they bought it. And I went, shit me, this was so obvious and I didn't pick it up the first time round. So watching this a second time and going, oh, I know that this is now the plot what, point the that it is. Yeah. I guess so. I do. But I mean, you start having bombs and you start talking about kids. I mean, these are like trigger points for trigger points, trigger points for people. And oh, it's really, really clever. Yeah. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, it made me appreciate the film as a whole even more yeah. because I'm going. There were so many little bits throughout it already in this first hour that go. There's something else going on here. And then you get to that point, and even the first time around watching it, I had no idea what that meant. I just like brushed it off as a throwaway because at that point I didn't realize what it was. Excellent. Um, so watching it as a, a second time round, I went, oh, this is really good. This is really clever. I appreciated it a lot watching it the second time round. So I think at this point, we're, st- we're kind of in act two now. You know what I mean? We've established who our villain is, and we shift what's called psychic distance. And what I mean by that is, I think I've talked about it before, but up until this point, we've been 100% in the eyes of the heroes and the villains have been hidden from us that enigma code we talked about now that we know who it is we sort of get that hang out with them for a while and see them do things which we hadn't to this point and uh Sa- simon gruber uh, aka jeremy irons has this very mid-90s hairstyle very very mid-90s hairstyle so it, apparently some of his uh um, co-actors on on star co-stars called it the midlife crisis haircut <laughs> and he loved a good tight sleeveless vest he was just he was big on that sort of and and the little sunglasses with like the black frames very liam gallagher if you will it was 1995 they after can't all. be did either of you ever wear any like that any sunglasses like that as someone who I wears like prescription liam, glasses i can't liam did you ever wear sunglasses like that because no. surely they don't like actually cover all of your like field of vision and so you're just left with like a brightness around your eye if you just look straight i think you're generally all right the minute you start looking your peripheries looking straight (laughs) it's about looking good it's not about function (laughs) says the man (laughs) and not you know the gender who wear high heels and things like that's you know based on personal choice okay with your metrosexuality don't worry it's okay i'm all right is (laughs) is that even a term anymore or have we just kind of gone no it's called just do what you want is metrosexual still a thing um, it's still a thing for the extreme and yeah. for explaining to conservative people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's it, not as much it of a thing. It feels like a very, you know, early 21st century, you know, very, um, you know, the world is binary and we need a term to come up with these guys who aren't being men's men's, but are being a little bit more pretty boy, whatever it is. So we need to come up with some sort of term for them as opposed to just, you know, it was, Yeah, it was kind of the first extra label for people who didn't quite fit into the binary. Yeah. So if anything, it's got quite a nice history to it. But anyway, we can move on from Moving that. Moving on. Um, so then we go down and um, all the cops are leaving. And we get the shot of the press going, come on, Mickey. Mickey, the guy who plays his badge every week. What's going on? Why are we screaming out of here? And he goes, oh, come on. It's shift change. We don't want any overtime. The next crew will be back here in a bit. And they go, ah, oh, you're lying. And he bows. And I'm kind of going, given the context of what we see, it's it's an interesting point. But I guess they wanted us to actually like him a bit before he meets his end. Yeah. Because up yeah. until this point, he hadn't been much of a character. He just had a random line to move the plot along. But we actually get he's funny. 
and the press like him and he bows and he's a bit of that sort of you know spin master of spin and then um we find out that simon is pretending to be a city engineer with the office and has this great american accent as he's like walking through he's like well we're from the uh we're from the city the city engineer's office you know it's wall street there's a lot of money here a lot of opinion makers here. And then he goes to the seats of the damage. He goes, holy Toledo. He goes, somebody had fun. <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to hear like Jeremy Irons doing like a, a John Wayne, like American accent for like a whole film. I just want to see that character. It was good, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, I don't know if it was good, but it was like so cliche that it was hilarious it was like an english person doing an american accent i think that's why i thought it was and hilarious keep in mind, we've got we, we do it we, we have an english guy pretending to Isn't be a, pretending to be a german pretending yeah. to be an american yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so uh then we cut back to bruce willis and samuel jackson who are starting their couch to 5k and, <laughs> and they start running and he goes what does it mean that thing what does it mean that you know this guy? He goes, oh, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I, I was in L.A., to which point Samuel Jackson goes, yeah, I know, Rodney King, right? And I'm like, oh, jeez. And again, just it, it, with it being this week, I mean, it was just like, wow, this is still, you know, how, how far removed are we from Rodney King if you look on the news today? Mm. Not might be the answer. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully we, we, we figure it out one of these days. So... And this is then when we go, we cut back to kind of the montage of the bad guys. And this is where we figure out what the plan was fully. And we get the great theme. When Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, ba-ba, ba-ba. Which is so great. Is there a more, <laughs> is there a more American sounding sort of song than this was? Except for if you know it from an English childhood. And it's the... <laughs> The animals went marching two by two, and then it doesn't have quite the. Well, you have a two, but it's kind of done in that kind of like brass bandy kind of way. Yeah, it's very good. But then it's got also like tinges of like minor keys, just like scattered around to go like here's something that's American, but we're perverting it with these minor strains, so it's not quite right. It's like it's pretending to be this song, kind of like how Simon's (laughs) pretending to be American, American, or they're pretending this whole thing is about. Is about bombs when it's not. It's about money. Oh, so yeah. good. Very good. And so he goes marching in, and we find Helen marching in. <laughs> and um, as we find out, they had to blow up the subway because that's the part you can take your tank and you can drill into um, the vault from the other side. Me- also because it messed all the security systems up in the, in the bank. And so this is where we find out that Marta, Katya, sorry, Katya, has survived. And she's there and she's going to do some drilling as she walks around without saying a word because she's got a scar on her neck. And Liam, this woman's name was Sam Phillips. Right? Sam Phillips was a, uh, a two-time Grammy winner. Yep. Really? Uh, her name originally was Leslie Phillips and she did a Christian contemporary career and won a Grammy for that and then left that field of music and won Best Female Rock Vocal or something like that of the 1995 Grammys. Oh, wow. Yeah, so she's like a big deal here. And she did this role and said at first she was glad she didn't have to speak because she was really terrified about it. And then um, 
as the film went on, she went, actually, I kind of wish I got to speak a little bit. But she's great at doing this, like, European femme fatale, I will slice you up. <laughs> she literally will slice you up. And, she, and not so stop. Cool. <laughs> In this montage, she slices a guy up. And she said she really had a hard time with this scene. Until she realized the guy kind of looked like um, um, the American politician or politi- political commentator at the end of the time, Rush Limbaugh. And then she went, it wasn't, it wasn't as hard after that. <laughs> she just sort of <laughs> imagined she was killing this guy. I'm like, that's a bit, okay. <laughs> bit sadistic, but okay. But as this happens, Method we, f- acting. we find out that Simon is sort of breaking through upstairs and coming down into the vault with his massive henchmen. And they meet downstairs. And as Katja's slicing this guy up, she goes for like a ninth stab and he grabs her arm and he just says, I think he's quite dead, my dear. <laughs> Which is great. And then we find out as they break into the vault room that they're here for the gold. And it's the gold Federal Reserve Bank. It's the gold for every country on the planet. And they grab a bar of gold and he just tosses it to this other guy. And like Jeremy Irons is like just, just, just whips it. And the other guy can barely hold it. Because one of those bars is like 25 pounds. And in preparation for the role, they let Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis hold a bar of gold. Like a real bar of gold. Just to get the idea how heavy it would feel to carry. So, uh, which is quite uh, interesting because I, being me, went, how much is gold worth by the ounce? And so I found out it's about $1,730 in today's U.S. currency, which works out to one bar of gold is $600,000. Whoa. Yeah. It would have been worth more when this was filmed, though, as well. I guess relatively, yeah, I don't know what the what the price of gold would have been since the 25 years. I'm pretty years. sure the price of gold has gone down quite significantly in the last few years. Okay. So, um, so... They get we we cut back now and we're with so they've got their they've got the gold, the bad guys are winning, and we cut to uh, our dynamic duo who have arrived at Tompkins Square Park, and there's a phone they answer it and the uh, the answer is what has four legs and is always ready to travel. McLean can't figure this out, but but um, Zeus is like, don't you have any kids? Because it's an elephant joke, and so they go to this water fountain. And they see the elephant, and there's a bomb, which is helpful because as they open the briefcase. Does anyone right. know what the elephant joke actually is? It's a trunk. It's got four legs. It's ready to travel because it's got a trunk. Oh, okay. So that's better as an American joke because we don't call the boot of a car a trunk. No, no. A trunk like a, a suitcase. suitcase. Yeah, but we also don't call them that. Either, well, so. Neither do we. It's, it's a bit dated. Yeah. And they open up and it's a bomb. Which, Simon's very nice, and as you open the, the suitcase up, it says on the screen, I am a bomb. <laughs> you have just armed me. And this is where we get the old adage of you have a five-liter jug and a three-liter jug. How can you get exactly, or five gallons and three gallons, how can you get exactly four gallons in one jug? I worked this out straight away. See, I remember someone must have gone and seen the, the film when I was uh, in school. Because ironically, I saw this film for the first time at Christmas. <laughs> it was a present for my stepdad. So I guess even this film is a Christmas film. But someone had gone and seen it. I guess they wanted to see if I was clever or something. And they challenged me to, to see if I could figure it out at school. And I did. I did. But the guy, the writer, 
The writer included this because he remembers getting on a math exam as a kid and not being able to answer this question. So that's why I ended up in the script. Now, that's cool. there are two ways that you can do this. I do it a yeah. different way than John and Zeus do it. Yeah. My brain doesn't work this way. Like, I would have to physically have the things with me in order to process it. So just watch it on screen. I'm going, uh... well, they skip. They, they, they do skip mode. Like, they have a fight right before, like, it's, like, the, the, it's already fixed by the time they have the fight. Like, yeah. they're just literally putting the last piece in. But generally, what happens is, let's just break it down. This is why you listen to the podcast. You get answers to things like this. <laughs> you get a three-liter and your five-liter jug. So you fill up the three-liter jug, right? And you pour it into the five-liter jug. So your five-liter jug has exactly three liters of water in it, while this other one is now empty. You with me? I'm with yeah. you. Okay. You then fill up your three-liter jug again. You pour it into the five-liter jug until the five-liter jug is full. So you have five liters in the five-liter jug and only one left in the, in the three-liter jug. You get that? Yeah. Because you just took two away from it, right? I'm yeah. now dumping the entirety of the five-liter jug out. So I have nothing in the five-liter jug, and, and one. I have one liter in the three-liter jug. I'm going to pour that one liter now into the five-liter jug. Yeah. So I have one in the five-liter and none in the three-liter. Yeah. I'm going to fill up the three-liter jug into its entirety and then yeah. pour all of that uh, into it, and that gives me four liters in that jug. That's one of the ways you can do it. Or you can then use the five-liter jug, fill the five-liter jug up. Okay. Tip it into the three-liter jug. So I have three and two. Three and two. Yeah. Tip the three-liter out. Yeah. Put the two-liters, thus in the five-liter jug, into the three-liters. Oh, I see. Yeah. Liters. Fill up the five-liter jug. Yeah. Pour one liter out of that. One liter into the three. And then I have four left. Then you've got four left in the five. Hey, look at that. See, me, me and you, buddy, we would, we'd be sitting there at the next stop going, Simon, what else you got, buddy? What, <laughs> what, what else you got? We've done it twice, man. That's because we're not doing it with, like, hangovers, though. <laughs> but anyway, um, so they get done with that. And they start, during this, having a bit of a, um, a bit of an instruction. Where they start a bit of instruction, a bit of an argument, where they start kind of finally John McClane is enough and goes, you know what your problem is, Zeus? You're a racist. You don't like me because I'm white. And it's like this has never been said to Zeus in his entire life. And I thought it was it was good to have a pushback that he's just treating him like someone who needs to help him. That's all. And yeah. it's it's none of it's about race. It's just about can we do we, we, we got we got we got a city to save. So um, they get asked on their next quiz. Uh, they, they get told their next uh, step is like underneath the, the fountain or something like that. And it says, what's 21 out of 42? And it's just left there. And they have tickets to Yankee Stadium, to the home dugout. And so there's a brief, the briefcase of the bomb has been left behind. And, they get, and McLean's going to leave it. Leave it like, eh. So Samuel Jackson has to climb over the fence, grab the bomb, and off they go. And they go back down to Wall Street with it. And McLean's determined he's going to go see, is it Mickey? He's going to go see Mickey, I think. Either way, he's going to go into the Federal Reserve. Oh, that's why. There's a big scene that happens right before this where <laughs> some kid steals like some chocolate bars. Oh, and yeah. he's riding his bike down the middle of the road. And McLean sees it and stops him. And he goes, what, you know, juvie hall for this? And he goes, look around. There ain't a cop for miles. It's like Christmas. You can steal anything you want. Which, for the record, 
Christmas movie. Uh, <laughs> and this is when like McLean has that moment because the kid tells him, you're right, none of the, and he goes, what doesn't, what doesn't Wall Street have any of? Schools, but what do they have lots of? Banks. And so he's going to go to the Federal Reserve. I guess that's his first step you'd go to, I guess. Logically. It's the one near the bomb, isn't it? I sure. think that's why. Meanwhile, well, they have gone like 20 blocks back or whatever it was to get back where, where they were. No, I mean the bomb that went off. Oh, yeah, yeah. The bomb the is right beside. Bomb. That's right. Yeah, they were going back to check on that. And so they go ahead and they're going to give, he tells Samuel Jackson, give the bomb to those policemen over there who, of course, aren't real policemen. They're some of Simon's goons. Yeah. And so we cross back four, but if we st- stay with Zeus, he gives it to the to this cop, and the cops on the other end of the phone to Simon saying, "What do you want me to do about M- about McLean and about Zeus?" And he's really good. He goes, he's, you know, Samuel Jackson comes up, and he kind of gives him, you know, the 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 wait a second look, and goes, "Yeah, I'm gonna need an answer on that." And another great fake American accent, and uh, thanks him. And I'll say what you will for these uh, for these terrorists, they're not they're really they they won't murder kids. No. They won't murder kids because they're going to leave the one of them is going to leave the bomb out. And you go, some kid might grab it. So they do <laughs> grab it and put it in the car, which is great. And meanwhile, we now cut to uh, John McClane, who's goes into the elevator with a bunch of these thugs who are all posing, of course, as security guards. And McClane is the shortest one of the bunch. Now, they did <laughs> cast some tall guys, but some of those guys are also standing on boxes in that scene. <laughs> So that McLean, because McLean looks, I mean, it looks like everybody else is like six foot ten in that elevator scene. Yeah. And he looks over and he's starting to put two and two together and he sees one of the guys as the badge 6991. Because um, we didn't mention that Mickey, the guy who had the moment with the, the whole shift change thing, gets brought down and killed by Simon's goons. And he goes, Anybody catch the lottery numbers from last night? And of course, last time he was in a confined space with a bunch of cops, they all knew it. Not one yeah. of these guys knows it. He goes, well, I play my numbers. I was like, well, oh, they're my lucky numbers. And he goes, look, I got the ticket right here. And he's going for his gun. And he shoots everybody in that elevator. And the last guy, he fights with him so much and turns his head. And you just see the red splatter coat his face. Yeah. Gross. To be but fair, it lead us. It leads us to a great line when he meets back up with Zeus. <laughs> yes, it is the longest time, though, in any of the, the Die Hard movies before John McClane kills a man. We're about an hour in at this point, and that's the first guy he kills. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. And so he meets Zeus down in the subway, and he goes, oh, man, what's, what's wrong? You got hurt. And he goes, oh, it's okay. It's not my blood. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is when he does find, I think, Mickey's down there, and he realizes what's going on, and realizes the whole thing's a heist, and it's not, it's not about bombs, not fully. And so they go, well, "What do we do?" And he goes, "Well, I'm going to go to, um, I'm going to go to where is he going? Oh, they're going to go to the aqueduct." Yeah, he's going for the vans, isn't he? Because this is where he realizes yeah. that the fourteen dump trucks. The fourteen dump used. trucks, and they start looking after the dump trucks. But on the way out, they grab a gold bar. Well, by they, I mean Zeus grabs a gold bar and goes, "You know, we're not going to let you keep that." And he goes, "Oh, they, you never know. They might." At this point, is when I looked it up, and I went six hundred thousand dollars. Don't know about that. But they yeah. then use the gold bar to like smash into a car and steal it. But very quickly, they realize they can't keep up in this little car they've got. 
So they ditch it for a much nicer model, but they accidentally forget the gold bar in the back of the car. Oh, no. I tell you, I don't know how many times I've done that. So... (laughs) And the best part was, though, just as they're stealing this other guy's car, <laughs> they stop and go, hey, who's the 21st president? The guy says, go. F- Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how much of this film is different if you've got smartphones? All of it. Because we've got beepers. We've got, like, running around, you know, no no uh, radio signals. you got to do it through the switchboard. Today, they'd all have mobile phones. And, like, all these tricks would be five liters and three liters. Oh, it's okay. I'm Googling it. Yeah, I got Here's a YouTube video on how to do it. <laughs> but also, the whole thing with the pay phones at the beginning, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have anything that. like that. No. Because there wouldn't be as many around. And you definitely wouldn't have people using them. Yeah. So Simon would have been using a burner phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So then uh, they find a they, they lose the dump trucks. They're falling the dump trucks. They can't find them. They find one moving by itself. So they don't think about why they were 13 have gone. They're like, that's the dump truck. So they go ahead. They stop it. They pull it over. As they open the door, this guy goes, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. And this is where we meet Jerry. And I love Jerry in this film. Jerry and Charlie are like the best yeah. bits. They're great. They're really funny. Jerry's decided, I want a flannel shirt, but I'm going to cut the arms off it. <laughs> and so um, the deal made is they're going to take him up to the aqueduct, the real aqueduct, which is where, um, you know, where the, the, they, would, they would get out of town with these things. And they get there and they realize, they find out from the foreman that a bunch of other dump trucks have just come through, done the same, but they've gone down the wrong pipe. So they go, that, that's the pipe we got to go to. So the deal is that Zeus is going to go to um, Yankee Stadium, but Jerry is going to take um, McLean up this up, up the aqueduct pipe. And so off, off Zeus goes, but we cut back, and Jerry is being a tour guide. And he's saying all he's about so the history of the him. pipe. He is Wikipedia. He is Jerrypedia. He is Jerry just, is the mobile phone. He is the mobile phone. Just have, the, have if, with them. The if Jerry time. had been on the, if it had been Jerry and not Zeus, this film would have been over eight minutes in. <laughs> he would have been like, "He's there. It's clearly, it's clearly this." Jerry and um, McLean come up to this other dump truck, and so they stop, and he goes, "Can I borrow your hat?" And then give me your coat. And he goes, and he goes, "Oh, it's." You know, shift supervisor Mickey or something like that. We had complaints of this guy with uh, eight reindeer. And then he shoots them all. And he goes, a jolly guy, fat, goes by the name of St. Nick or something like that. And I'm like, how many Christmas references are you guys going to put into this film? Enough that we can claim it to be a Christmas film. So anybody who says Die Hard was not intended to be a Christmas film, then why are there so many references to it in the third one? Because they miss it. And they're thinking we need to put them in it, I think. Yeah. And so um, as he's going, he says, you need to go, you need to go find Walter and you need to ask him who the 21st president was. Well, Jerry knows it's Chester A. Arthur, doesn't he? And the years that he was president from. And that he used to be head of sanitation or head of parks here in New York. Yeah. And, and he what goes, year? And, yeah. And he goes, no. about vice presidency yeah. as well. And he goes, no, Jerry, I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> so. 
Justice for Jerry. Bring Jerry Justice back. for and Jerry. It's like he never thought to ask Jerry directly because he's just a truck driver. I, I do, actually I do really wonder. Clever. Yeah, I do wonder if it was this idea that like, you know, like you figure you're in that thing and he's lecturing you with the pipes. I mean, wouldn't you have at least gone, hey, out of curiosity, Jerry, you happen to know who 21st president is? But and Jerry's not a, he's a nice guy. Now we cut back to Zeus, who's at Yankee Stadium. He gets there. He goes to the seat. And it's just this little like handheld game thing. And then it says, you flip it over, it says game over. And I'm like, that felt like it was underwhelming. If you think about how intricate all the other things were. It just felt very like, what do we do? Oh, I don't know. Just put like a label on the back. It says game over in a really boring font. <laughs> and there's this. It's just been done with a label maker. Hasn't and there's it? these two guys. One guy's like hidden like behind part of the dug, like, like part of the stadium another guy's like sitting in the chair on the phone it's like did this really need to be a two-person job for starters <laughs> and secondly you're gonna tell me he's been camped there with a gun all day long like how yeah, long true. have they been there and no one's come across him like yankee stadium you can just walk in with but a I gun they've obviously in contact with gruber though aren't they so they probably could have gone he probably would have told them, oh, yeah, they've just finished this task. You better go get, get in place. They're coming for you. And what's really strange. Like, they could have had like a half hour warning. Why don't they kill Zeus? Because he's by himself. So and that's the only explanation we get. It's not like Willis and he have cell phones and are checking in. Oh, I no. think it's because they're hoping he'll lead them to McLean, which he does. Oh, so it works. But we get. Uh, so Chester A. Arthur. And then we get, we're cut back to Walter and the rest of the, of the police guys. And Jerry's there and he's debriefing about what's gone on. He's told them all it's Chester A. Arthur. And we find out who's Chester A. Arthur's school. And of course, it's um, Samuel L. Jackson's nephews, Zeus's nephews now at yeah. school. It's their school. We cut, and it's a shot of our three main bodies in a truck, and Katja is giving serious eyes to Simon. She's supposed to be with a Hungarian guy whose name I can't remember, but she's given eyes to, to, to Simon. I like that. She's my favorite. And at this point, Simon goes, oh, we better go check in with uh, Niels or whatever. He goes, Niels, come in, Niels. Yeah. Niels, are you there, Niels? And then... You know, we get one of these every movie. Attention, attention, Niels is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and and those other guys back there, I killed them too. And uh, which probably isn't the best thing to do because now Gruber has the thought, well, let's just blow up the dam. Because the Hungarian's getting mad because he should have killed him forever ago. He's, well, we, we, we blow the dam, we drown him. So they set that up. And... Um, there's a bomb. Oh, so now we cut back to the school, that Chester A. Arthur school, and they find there's a fridge that was delivered that morning and that wires aren't hooked up to be electric. And they're like frayed. It's not like it's just like a regular plug. It's like actual frayed wires. But it's got like a lit up temperature gauge on the front. And they open it up and there's like gallons of this bomb liquid stuff. And then we cut back to John, who's driving down the dam, and all of a sudden he starts hearing the rush of water. And he turns the truck around, he drives the other way, and to be fair, it is the fakest looking water so behind bad. him. There is. CGI ever. And he like gets out of the truck, and the truck doesn't stop. 
You know what I mean? No, like, let's slow down. Now, I know the water would carry it somewhat, but this is like he just like put a rock on the the, the accelerator, <laughs> and he grabs, he goes on top of the truck and like hangs on to this grate because there's an access tunnel. We were told about this earlier. It's one every two miles, and the water like like pushes the grate up, and yet against the force of like tens of thousands of gallons, McLean's able to like pull himself against the flow. Mm-hmm. And then as he starts climbing up the actual like shaft to get out, like the water then pushes him out. Like it wasn't going up before he was in it because he needs to be able to get in that at first. Yeah. And then he comes flying out like a geyser. Just if you would believe this, just as Zeus is driving by. <laughs> now we have we have a different podcast, Georgia, called Talking the Mickey. We do. Where we made fun of Cruella DeVille being able to spot puppy footprints as she drove 50 <laughs> miles an hour. Well, somehow, Zeus in the rain and the gray, <laughs> while being afraid he's going to get shot, um, can track down. But that figure coming out of this geyser is the his partner for the day anyway, John McClane. I mean, to be fair, you would probably stop and look if there was a body coming out of a geyser. Yeah, I suppose. And so they get into the car. Before they get into the car, they start shooting at him. They start shooting at him massively. And so they get into the car, and Zeus is driving. It's clear. Zeus is driving, and he's telling him, like, keep your head down, try and stay, whatever. I'm going to try and get through. I'm going to try and shoot him. And then we cut away to the fire drill happening on at the school. They're singing songs. And they go, it's a fire drill. And the boys are convinced it's not a fire drill. They're coming to get arrested for helping steal the stereo earlier, which I thought was, was at least plausible. Yeah. That's why I'm going to run away. It's, it's, it's a cop. The idea that they get the whole school into an assembly to like expose you, I'm not sure if I buy that, but kids will think like kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the janitor, they said the janitor is going to do a sweep of all the rooms. As someone who works in a school, you're not just sending random janitors to go check all all the rooms. Furthermore, before you do anything, you are checking. You have your 25 kids with you. Yep. Like, none, this is the part I'm going, I don't care if it is the 90s. There is no way. You have a... You have, head count, people. You have a head, head count, count, a register, head or you might call it attendance if you're listening in North America. But you are taking track of who is all there. You're not just assuming everybody's still there. So the, the janitor does the sweep. He 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 comes in. The kids are hiding. He locks the door. The kids come out. I don't know what these four kids thought they're because they're not really that worried. But they're locked in this room, which would be even if the bomb wasn't going to go off. I don't think I want to be locked in the room. No. And so we cut back to Charlie, who's in case you wanted to forget, but it's Die Hard, and Die Hard usually happens at Christmas. He's singing like four and a partridge in a pear tree, and I'm like, yep, so much of this. And they decide they're going to jump on. Uh, we cut back to John and Zeus, and they're going to jump on this boat. Okay. And now that he knows what school it is, because Zeus has had the sort of like the penny drop, because he's told him who the 21st president was. Uh, he's like, I can jump. I can make it, McLean. And they've, the car they've stolen, or the pickup truck they've, they've killed the guys out of or whatever, happens to have like a tow rope on it. And they go, well, if, we, if we can, a winch, and if we can latch this onto uh, the crane, of the boat, we can like scurry down it. Um, and at least they dealt with the fact that it's a, it's a million to one shot by going, it'll be a miracle if this hits. 
and it does hit and they get on this wire this winch cable and they start sort of scurrying down the problem is the boat is still moving (laughs) so yes there's a certain amount of like cable but also as you move you need to at least match the speed of the boat as you scurry down because the boat's going to continue to get further and further away from the bridge they're on but they like stop and have conversations and they look and see the trucks like starting to move. And I'm like, there is no way you're making this. As this is going on, they finally, there's too much pressure in the truck. The cable snaps. They go, there's a horrible overhead shot of the two of them very much against the green screen. As it starts to fall and they swing, the cable slices a bad guy in two. Um, and they sort of land on the boat, and definitely, if there was ever a case for they survive this, this is one of them. Because they fall, like, 70 feet. That was going to be one of my last points about this film, is this whole film is they survived this. (laughs) Like, it is absolutely ridiculous. But I'll tell you what, but it's so stupid. We got a great sight gag, where they both look at the dead guy, who's off camera for us, and he goes, what do you want to do? I said, you grab the hands, I'll grab the legs, and they're both able to sort of side-by-side drag him, because he's been sliced in half, (laughs) and you can see the legs and the arms, but nothing else. That was a fun sight gag. Uh, They get the kids out, through this big fire rush. They, they, They go, um... But before they do that, oh, what am I doing here? Oh, so again, a great idea. John McClane and Zeus are going to split up and search on this boat for the code. That's a great idea. The code. And he teaches him how to use a gun. And by, so he says, what do you do? You just pull back this trigger and then you pull back this thing and then you shoot. He goes, that's it. That's it. That's simple. That's simple. He says, but don't go shooting yourself. He goes, I'm fine. And again, Zeus is not good with a gun. And this time it's a semi-automatic, right? Or a fully automatic. I don't know. Uh, and then we get close-ups of Bruce Willis looking around corners, and nobody does a better on looking around corners' face than Bruce Willis. He looks so ridiculous, but I wouldn't have it any other way. But his no. face is always like he's just smelled some bad eggs or something. <laughs> so if you go back and look at it, he's got a very I'm acting like I'm looking face. And how bad is Samuel L. Jackson at doing sneaky following as well? He's pretty effective. He literally stands like in the oh. middle of a corridor with it's another, two people yeah. on either side. Like, he didn't just go back where he it's came another from. He, one. Just, he just stands there, there and they're out of focus. And again, because they're out of focus, we're going, they haven't seen him yet. And I'm like, yeah, but like you would hear or look or see something. But he manages to get into the, what would you call that room? The engine room? Not the engine room. What would you call the room where they drive the boat? I don't know. The bridge. The, the what? The bridge? bridge? Okay. And the bridge. And he gets behind him and he's like, Put your hands up. Give me the code. And Simon's not fussed. He walks up and he goes to shoot him. And of course, it doesn't work. And so he grabs the gun. To be fair, Zeus gives the gun up really easy. He yeah. doesn't like try and wrestle it back. He's like, well, it doesn't work here. He's <laughs> like, he goes, he's eating an apple or something. As he eats the apple, he goes, safety's on. He goes, click. He goes, he shoots him in the leg. He goes, now it works. And he goes, now where is McLean? Cut back to the kids. They've all run out. Until we find out, nope, there's those four kids. Now, we never really get an explanation for how these other two kids ended <laughs> up with them. Yeah. We just saw the two brothers sneak off, and then there's four of them. So I'm guessing two kids were already skipping the assembly. And they were like, no, come up here. It's cool. So they go, help, help, help. Maybe one of them was Tony. Maybe. So I think Tony's an adult. I'm pretty sure Tony's an adult. I'm sure Tony's an adult. <laughs> not made clear. otherwise this is like a mastermind of a kid if he's got other kids <laughs> doing his running for him uh, so at which point like uh kowalski 
and like the the female cop whose name I didn't get, they go running in. Like the, the, the janitor throws them the keys, and I'm going, okay, I hear it. You're a janitor. I get that, but who's going to know how to get to that room? Yeah. The cops yeah. or the guy who works there? And it's, exactly. like, it's key four. Like that doesn't mean anything when you're up there fumbling, but they rush up. They can't do with the keys, which you wouldn't. They break into a door. They grab the kids. They go, let's go to the roof. And, of course, they don't have a layout to anything. So McLean's walking around, and he comes across a piece of debris. And it's where we find out it's not gold. It's like scrap metal. And as that's going on, he comes across the big, brutish Hungarian guy who calls him little bunny, little policeman. Are you going to arrest me? And like, it gets proper, like medieval. Like he grabs like a chain and like John McClane just like starts whipping this guy with it. And apparently that shot was heavily edited because it was too brutal to receive a 15 rating. Oh yeah. So he gets, he gets to the bridge. He's phoning the coast guard to tell them about where they are. And how they can come rescue them. Like this is our big payoff. He gets he's calling he's calling the the, the sea cops. <laughs> and as he does, he looks Coast over. Guards aren't even cops though. Like Coast Guards can't do anything. No, it's not in the UK. No, Coast Guards no, they're they're Coast Guards like like a, a form of of police. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in the UK that doesn't translate because our Coast Guard literally is coast guard oh, okay. like, like they save, save people's, people's lives drowning. like ambulances. no no no, no. this is no it's why he's calling them because he wants like the sea police to come get him they have like police uh, boats okay. and stuff it's also reminiscent of the first film as well when he calls them yes so it's a bit of another throwback bit of a throwback there but he, this is his big payoff i'm gonna call the the, the 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 other guys but as he does he looks over and he sees all of the uh bomb fluid there on the boats. Now, for some reason, McLean can figure. I mean, here's my issue: like, how does he know all the bomb fluids on the boat? Yeah. How does he know? Like, you didn't take like because we saw what like a little piece of that can do. How do you even take in like a liter of each and made a bomb out of it? Like, there's no rule that says it only has to be this one. But he kind of has this like, oh no, and it's shot really well, and there's a great reaction shot and all that stuff, and then. <laughs> Hans just comes up, not Hans, uh, Simon comes up behind him and just like, you know, takes him. And uh, Simon's really impressed with the idea that they put him on hold. <laughs> and he goes, I love this country. And we cut and there's this great scene of McLean and Zeus and they are handcuffed to this like sensor pillar. And Katja is like on top of it, standing triumphantly. And they shoot it from above of them being lowered into like the... I don't know the the what is it called the 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 bottom of the yeah. boat anyway the hold the hold that's hold. it the hold and as it's going on we hear the manifesto by Simon saying too long the West have taken all our money and things like that and we're going to redistribute the wealth today so if you're around we want you to come see that well then the bad guys get on a boat and we find out Hungarian crazy man survived but he says he has betrayed us. And so Katja gets her gun out and she points it at Simon. And then we just see the gun move in a different direction and we don't even look at him. And she pulls the trigger and we get close-ups, extreme close-ups on the eyes of Katja and on the eyes of <laughs> um, Simon. <laughs> so uh, off they go. 
Um, we, we cut back to McLean. He's got a splinter in his shoulder. He says, if I get this out, can you use the pick the lock? He goes, sure, he can. Drops it into Zeus's hand. Zeus picks his handcuffs. And then we need some stakes, so Zeus drops <laughs> it. Like, it's like, and he can't find it. And so Zeus is like, go. Just go, John. It was like very Titanic. Never let go. <laughs> And she so goes, no, I'm not, I'm not Save leaving. Yourself. I'm not leaving you here. And they realize, all right, this stuff's like a bomb. So we can go ahead and we can uh, get rid of that. So he takes a little bit of the explosion liquid from each of the two canisters and hits it on the, on the handcuffs. And the handcuffs blow apart. So he's got some bracelets, but he's all right. And they sort of, the, he's been shot in the leg. But in order to escape, he has to like jump down three feet and land on his bad leg, at least somewhat. And yeah. I guess it. They get away with it because he goes, ow, my leg. But he's like, ow, my leg. You would collapse and be on the floor. Liam. My other thing is, the um, guy at the beginning who showed them how the stuff worked, liquid stuff worked. Charlie. Drawn pin? Yeah. Yeah. Well, how come that didn't make as much noise when they did it with the cuffs? Who knows? Movie's got a movie, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody knows that a paperclip is a much better conductor of this stuff <laughs> than like a metal tool. <laughs> I have no idea. Not me either. But he goes out there and he, this is where they go. He beat me. I hate that he beat me. And I know it's not gold at the bottom. And he beat me. Something we didn't mention is just before Simon leaves, he goes, any last word? He said, tell me, just tell me one thing. And you think it's gonna be like, why did you do it? Tell me what he goes. Yeah. Do you have any aspirin? I've got a bad headache. And so Simon grabs the his, his aspirin, throws it to him, and says, "It's your lucky day." Well, keep the bottle. Yeah. And so Zeus sends off um, John to phone his wife because he thinks it's ridiculous that he hasn't phoned his wife in a year. You got to phone your wife. And as he's doing it, and he's waiting for the collect call to go, he doesn't even he doesn't even spend the money that Zeus gives him. He calls collect. <laughs> do, you, do you guys know what it means to like call nope. collect? Not a clue. Yeah. Call collect is when you phone and you ask the other person to accept the charges for the call. Oh. So, so in Canada and the US, you can do that because we have long distance. You guys don't really have that here. Yeah, but I think we have something called like 0800 reverse or something. Yeah, but that's not the same as like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so basically he's saying, I want them to pay for it, not me. Which to be fair, it would cost more than a quarter to phone California from, 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 from New York. It would be much, much more expensive than that. But as they're doing it, uh, he looks at the bottom, and he sees that this is from uh, Cleur de Lune, and he runs away, and we get a, a jump cut into the aspirin bottle, and we find out that they are somewhere else, and that somewhere else is Quebec, or in the case of where this film was actually shot, Maryland, <laughs> <laughs> which it looks like it's proper cold, but it's like, it's like Maryland, which is like further south of New York. But we get this idea, and we have a celebration, and there's a celebration taking place because they've. The great quote is: "Yesterday, we were an army without a country. Tomorrow, we have to decide which country we want to buy." And as they're all chugging their their champagne back, all of a sudden, Katja comes and does the one thing she's able to do besides kill people, which is give me give someone the the eyes. And he goes off, and they say. Perfect hubris. They go, the, the plane will be ready to go in, in 10 minutes. He goes, no rush. And he goes on, and they start having a bit of a, a very physically aggressive sex scene starts to take place. And the writer said, 
at that point, we knew we were getting an R rating in the States. So I thought, what the heck? Let's have a sex scene in the movie. It's the only reason why we did it. He went, we're not going to escape an R rating. May as well, may as well go for it. Um, so then we get the helicopter that appears out of nowhere with the bright flashing light. And we're going to pretend that jurisdiction is not a thing. And that two New York, a New York City police officer and his, <laughs> his electrician friend can commandeer a helicopter and go after people in Canada. Because that's how laws work. <laughs> but they go ahead, they shoot. Uh, the, the, the light comes in. They go, attention, attention. I'm sorry if I interrupted. And all of a sudden... She is not happy. She's not happy that her sexual session has been interfered. She grabs a gun and the one sound she makes on movie, she goes, ah, as she shoots. At which point McLean goes, oh, I think you got... Not McLean. Zeus goes, I think you got her mad. I'm like, how good are Zeus's eyes? Because he needed glasses earlier in the film. <laughs> and yet he can look all the way in the dark into this room, like, forever away. In his defense, though, he did read the script. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so um, there's, there's a bit of a, a tacked-on scene outside where um, the two helicopters, because... Simon obviously has one as well. And so the bad guy helicopter shoots down the good guy helicopter, but they can't get Zeus out of the helicopter to save him because his legs suck still. So McLean's going to draw his fire. So he runs away a little bit. They put the helicopter in an inconvenient spot. You know, McLean looks up, kind of sees where some wires are going, sees it and goes, say hi to your brother for me. And then shoots the sign, which causes an electrical wire to fall, land on the helicopter. It bursts into flames and that's it and literally he walks back up Samuel Jackson's going oh let him cook go call your wife and they happen to be like literally four feet from a payphone <laughs> and I got news for you they might say Bell which is a Canadian phone company we did not have phone booths that look like that that is absolutely an American phone booth <laughs> there's no way plus the fact that the truck stop had its languages in French and English, that would not happen in Quebec. Quebec has French-only language laws, so you would not have a bilingual sign. So, haha, movie, two problems there. But he walks like three feet. We hear, when Johnny comes marching home again, and he goes, I told you, my wife's a very stubborn woman. And that's the credits, and that's the film, which kind of feels like it at times drags and then rushes to a finish. Yeah. But a good time. It was very strange for a second there. Like, there's the bit with the helicopters and things, and then... There's, like, just before the helicopters, you see them doing the bit and the bad guys shoot the other one. And then suddenly the bad guys are also in a helicopter. Like, you don't see any of that. Like, one minute they're having sex, next minute he's in a helicopter. If you're going... There's no... (laughs) If you're going, this felt kind of roughly put together, you'd be right. Because they shot a completely different ending. And the completely different ending... uh, Liam, I know you saw it. Ellie, I know you saw it. George, did you get a chance to see it? I did, yes. I spoke about it earlier. So, oh, yes. So McLean goes to Hungary where he finds um, Simon. Simon. And you would have thought this was the one done after reshoots because it's just the two of them. And it's like a really boring conversation oh. where they sit down and it's just a, com- it's just a shot over a shot. Com- and so he's, he's dressed really fit. McLean is dressed in like this really posh looking jacket and like scarf. It was like a totally different character. But he says, you screwed over everybody, huh? You turned on your partner. You got rid of your girlfriend. There was one funny joke where she said the conversation was somewhat limited. I went, that was a good line. But you didn't seem surprised. They, yeah, no. And then they they seemed like they were kind of like in love, even though they were like villains. 
Yeah. Villains can love so, to. Yeah. Where is this supposed to pick up from in the actual film? He it's says... Probably not past the helicopters, because that can't no, happen. So this, this, is, this is after the boat blows up, and that's where it ends. So he... See, rather, yeah. rather than see the Tylenol... So he still looks at, at, at the bottle of aspirin and puts two right. and two together... But that's where it ends. So in this new timeline, instead, mm-hmm. he traces the aspirin down to a pharmacist in Hungary, where where they oh, are. Yes, yes. And that's how he finds them. And through really lazy expositional writing, we also find out it's Christmas. He's going to go see his kids after this is over. And he wants Christmas to play. Film. Yeah. And he wants to play a game called McLean Says. And if he gets a question wrong, he, and basically it sort of steals the bit from Princess Bride, where it's like yeah, you can choose. You can choose yeah. what cup we, we, we drink from. And he keeps asking a series of riddles, and, and, and Simon gets some right until he says, a guy shows up with a bottle of brandy and a rocket launcher. What's the one thing he forgets that could have saved his life? And the answer is supposed to be like a bulletproof vest or whatever Simon, uh, McLean's were underneath it, but that wasn't made clear. And he just right. basically forces him to push a button that, you know, uh, it, it causes a, a mini rocket to land into Simon's chest. And that's the film. Thank God that wasn't the ending. Thank yeah, it's God. really boring. But like they reshot that ending, the 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 the, the Quebec ending, in like like a great expense to get everybody back. If you also look at that second scene, um, Simon's hair is a little bit longer in in the in the Canadian version, and his dye job is much thorough. It's not like the highlights he has; it's a little more like a, like a clean dye job. So you're kind of going, yeah, this is a bit of a pickup. That was. But, I mean, just a really kind of weird ending to it. Mm. Yeah. I'm glad they changed it. Me too. And that was Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I think Roger Ebert had it right. I think it was a very fun movie. You know what you're getting. It's not Citizen Kane. And for all its faults, and there are many, um, still a really, really fun movie. And that's kind of what you want from a summer blockbuster. You know, it's not any Oscar here, so... No, it's definitely not being nominated for an Oscar. (laughs) Um, So, question. Let's do a couple of them. I started with this one first. Is this the best Die Hard movie? I say yes. I think it's my favourite one that I've seen. Yeah, it's the most... It's because it's fun, isn't it? It's not... It's not as boring as the others. Not (laughs) the uh, the boring, but it's... I think it's the way it's paced and the fact that it is more of a buddy cop kind of story. It's just more interesting and more fun and it's probably got a bit more heart than the others have i i do think the fact that we didn't have holly meant we could have more time with zeus and that's a a really important factor i think in this film yeah liam i really really do like it but the first one is still by a little bit more better now for two different films because the first film is like that trapped in one location terrorist movie air force one passenger 57 die hard one those are kind of though you know you know what I mean when you're locked in a location yeah. with them and it's absolute. Uh, this is very different. This was I would say sprawling. You got to use yeah. all of New. I mean, how much of New York gets shown in this film? And there's a lot of it. It is great. It is great. Yeah, but, and, but different but, films. But, yeah, absolutely. So it depends yeah. which one. And I like them. Bo- I like them both. And if you told me yeah. Die Hard One was I'm like, absolutely Die Hard Three, absolutely. Yeah. If you tell me Die Hard Two is the best, then I would go sure. I really like Die Hard Two. Die Hard Two is okay. Yeah, I do. I do. But I, I, I rate I rate the second one third in my list. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but I think the first three are all really strong. They are very yeah. strong. You do you do which is the original like when Bruce Willis did Die Hard, he was like their eighth choice. 
Yeah. Like everybody else who they wanted, they couldn't get. And so they got him. And he was only known for doing that. He, was it Moonstruck? No, Maybe, Moonlighting. I mean, Moonlighting with Sybil Shepard. He yeah. was a sitcom star. And they put him in that. And out of nowhere, it was a big hit. But no one was expecting he, that. Did the you guy also, from... Sorry. Sorry, go ahead, Liam. Did you also know that um, the film that was made in the 60s with Frank Sinatra, that was the character based on the character that John McClane became? Okay, yeah, because it, it did come out of a novel. Yeah, it's called yeah. The Detective. Oh, okay, excellent. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of strange how they had Frank Sinatra as this John McClane character. Yeah. Then became... John McClane in Die Hard. Well, I mean, not, not to get too much into it, but if you if you cast like one of the big names who's being considered, like Stallone and names like that that are being bantied about at that time, there's no way they let themselves be as like it would be it would be less funny because they said when when they put Willis in, they made it funnier, and so it's a much different Die Hard film if you don't have him, which is part of the problem with Die Hard now is that it's lost a lot of that humor and a lot of that everyman. What I also liked about the original with um, Bruce Willis is that the fight scenes were ugly. Yeah. You know, it weren't easy. No, weren't like, whereas now it just, is. Yeah. Yeah, number four and five have been, have been rough. So, uh, on that note, uh, favorite character. Favorite character. Let's go around. Um, I really like Zeus. I think he's got some really funny lines. Um, okay. But honorable mention to, is it Jerry? Jerry, yeah. The truck driver. Liam, fa- favorite character? Uh, I really like Katja, is that her name? Katja, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like her. Um, but overall... Jeremy Irons for me. Okay. Uh, I'm, yeah, see, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I think I'm going to go with Samuel Jackson because he's not coming to America, Samuel Jackson. He's not Pulp Fiction, Samuel Jackson. He is a more controlled, that Malcolm X version of Samuel Jackson. I really quite liked that. For the first two thirds of the movie, in the last third, he's just kind of, Spitting out catchphrase, lazy writing, Samuel Jack. That's not his fault, but the writing gets worse towards the end. Um, favorite bit, favorite moment, favorite thing we haven't talked about, favorite scene, something? Um, I think the introduction to the character of Zeus. So both the bit in the shop with the nephews and then kind of skip the bit outside, but then the bit in the taxi with all that sass and kind of the introduction to these kind of themes of racism, but going both ways. I, I really like that scene. Georgia? Um, I really appreciate the two characters we were talking about earlier, Charlie and what's his name, Jerry? Is it the truck driver, Jerry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really like both of their like, bits of the film. So Charlie obviously is in the beginning and then at the end again. But um, no, I think they add quite a lot without being big characters. But obviously the relationship between Zeus and John McClane, I think, is really good. And how that develops, I like that quite a lot as well. Liam? Um, I my favourite scene has always been the taxi scene with the guy getting <laughs> in the taxi, <laughs> the Wall Street guy. The, 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 you, it, let me guess, you don't like white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does what I'd like to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and wait, you mean he? He is Samuel Jackson. I'm guessing. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure <laughs> you're not like the guy in the back seat. That's no, what no, I would no, like no. to do. Uh, I'm going to go with. I really liked any time John McClane was surrounded by the whole police force buddies because it, it was it was warm. There was a warmth. 
And for a film series that so often makes us convinced that John McClane is the cop who no one likes and is out on his luck. He's a one man renegade out for justice kind of guy. It was nice to see him be surrounded by people who, yeah, they might bust his chops, but they really like him and he really likes them. Hence why he's still a copper. Hence why he's still a copper. Yeah. Um, Honorable mention to Jerry. Yeah. I really like Jerry. I thought he was great. Um, Little grumble, little, 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 something sticks in your craw. What, what, what kind of something that bugs you about it? That stupid bit in the aqueduct with the bad CGI and the like, the way that he just shoots out and like the water would just carry on going straight. It wouldn't fly up like that. To be fair, the, the bad CGI also shows up when they jump off of the boat and it explodes. Yeah, and I don't, know, I don't know if you notice when they land in the water, Zeus no longer has yeah. his handcuff bracelets mm. on. To be honest, yeah. that. That scene with the boat, I've kind of, I do find that the most boring part of the film, and I think perhaps I'd stop paying as much attention by that point. But that aqueduct bit is just stupid, and then how just convenient it is that Zeus just happens to be driving past at that moment. No, Georgia, three words: they survived this. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. <laughs> Liam, oh, I'm going with Ellie on this. Uh, yeah, the CGI, I just didn't like it. My biggest issue with this film... Oh, sorry. What was that? Let's sit down. Okay. My biggest issue with this film is that the first hour of the film is so much more fun than the second hour of this film. Yeah. And I know that you've got to bring the story to an end, but it's like they had all the cool, fun ideas for the first half, and there wasn't something else by which to go. There was another ending that was supposed to happen, potentially, in one of the drafts. Another one? Where McLean tricks him into blowing himself up using the briefcase that that they ended up using to blow up the dam. That briefcase. In this other version, that doesn't happen, and he tricks him into blowing himself up. I like that version. Let's Uh, do that one. The theory was that uh, it wouldn't have been... So you didn't want Simon to die in such a comedic way because he even had a great line like, uh, but I didn't say Simon says as it blows up or it's like some sort of like weak comedic line. (laughs) The ethos of the movie. It would have, but I guess if it's Hans Gruber's brother, you don't want it being so cutesy. It needs to be. But then again, it was just a a helicopter blowing up. It wasn't a great death either. So I think the problem was they wrote them. Here's the problem. They wrote themselves into a corner and they had a hard time getting out of it because they were determined once they're determined that you're going to have them win. The bad guys win sort of initially. Right. Then how do you get yourself out of that? Because that was the great moment was the revelation that the bad guys are going to win in the short term. Then how do you get out of that? And I think they got themselves uh, sort of stuck in that regard. So It is time for ratings. It is rating time. Liam, do you want to start us off with your rating for Die Hard with a Vengeance? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Very nice. Uh, I really like it. Yeah. Georgia. I think everything I've been giving recently has been a seven and a half. And I was going to do that for this. But actually, I quite like it. And I feel like some of the other films I've been giving seven and a half, I've not liked as much. So I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to give it an eight as well. Yeah, it's a good film. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to give it an eight. So I really liked it. And it's not, I mean, Gladiator wins Best Picture. is a very different film to that. I give Gladiator an eight. Uh, I enjoyed this. I mean, there's some, cro- the first half is so fun. If it was the first half, I'd probably give this like a 10, Liam. I really do. The first half is really good. I wouldn't I, give it that high. You but. just have to know how to end something. And they didn't. They no, really had no... They just went, what do we do? Play that piece of music again and have them walk toward... I mean, it's, it's, it's a cute little joke, 
but not so much the ending as far as that's fine but as far as like how do you kill off someone it's so quick it, it's not that clever it's not a usual suspect ending is it no it's not even a diehard one ending yeah you know what i mean like have this be a yeah. death throw him from a building yeah replicate that you know, do, do something. I don't know. Yeah. Or have maybe he's hanging Bruce Willis off the top of a building, but Willis has got a bomb stash there, and he lets go of his own watch, and he falls and lands in water to safety, and Gruber gets blown up. So you mirror yeah. what happens in number, like, something, right? Yeah. Drop yeah, him I into agree. the aqueduct through that stupid Yeah, I mean, venture. it could be all sorts of things. But that was Star of the Vengeance, a movie that even though we just saw it, I'm really glad we went and watched it again. Same. Sign of a good movie. You can come back and watch it again just months later, and you're like, if that was on TV like three days from now, I'd be like, I'd probably sit down and go, yeah, all right, I'll watch this. Yeah, that's a film I'll still carry on watching, even like in so many years' time. Absolutely. And- yeah, I'll, I'll continue to watch it through my life. I've kind of developing a theory where I think 94, 95, 96 might have been the greatest like stretch for movies ever. Because <laughs> we have a lot of films from 95 sh- coming up this year because they're all 25 year anniversaries mm-hmm. and I want to I use some of them. So like it really was a, str- a super strong year. This one doesn't feel too dated either. No, I think outside, outside of attack, outside of attack and like beepers and things like that, I think it, it holds. Yeah. Yeah, totally holds. Okay, so that was that. So now it's left to what's coming up next time on Best Film Ever. And we are going from a 25-year anniversary to a 35-year anniversary. We are going back to 1985. And instead of spending a whole movie watching people run around a whole city, we're not going to leave one building the whole time. And there's nothing blowing up. There's just a lot of conversations as we join a Saturday morning detention session, Breakfast we Club are watching the Breakfast Club. <laughs> People need to know that Liam is dancing and like punching the air. So we're we're just gonna play this cool as to whether Liam likes it. So you listen to it next week. Now, Breakfast Club. I mean, I mean, I remember uh, I was gonna be teaching uh, film studies with uh, uh, an exam board. And they, uh, they had the movie lists, and one of them was Breakfast Club. And I went, I'm teaching Breakfast Club. I was so excited. And then they canceled the course. So, <laughs> so I switched to an exam board, and that was fine. But the new exam board wasn't doing Breakfast Club, and I was, like, heartbroken. Going, I had so many great ideas for what I could do with Breakfast Club. One of my favorite monologues at the end. Love yes, it. it's very good. It's very good. Very. So, have you seen Breakfast Club? I have never seen Breakfast Club, so I'm really wow. excited about this because I know it's one of those <sighs> ones that I really ought to have but seen. Every time it's such we, a classic. Every time we do that, you watch it and say like five out of ten. <laughs> what, for the classics <laughs> that I haven't seen? Like Princess Bride, which you hated. <laughs> I love that. How come I missed that? What? Are we going back to Princess Bride? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm jo- still annoyed. <laughs> Georgia, Breakfast Club? You've seen Breakfast Club, I'm assuming. I have, yeah. I've seen it once, um, but I've not seen it since, so I'm looking forward to watching it again. Yeah, I mean, it really is the exact opposite of this. So what can you do if it's just dialogue? And so yeah. we look at some some kind of eh dialogue in, in the Die Hard, but it didn't need to be. Like the director said, it was just, I hope people enjoy the ridiculousness, and we did. What do you do when it's just put people in a room and let them talk at each other? Yeah, but John Hughes is just so good. Yeah. I just... So good at it. 
I just had a look back at what we've done and you're right. I have done, I have said that for like every podcast where it's been a classic one that I've not seen. Yep. You've always gone, I like it. Perhaps not quite as badly as the Princess Bride, all of them, <sighs> but yeah, they've none of them have been like, you know, up there on my list. So please join us next time as we join the kids in the Breakfast Club. For best film ever, I've been Ian. I've been Liam. I've been Ellie. And I've been Georgia. And we hope when you've listened to this episode, you think it reminds you of that briefcase by the Elephant Fountain. That, like, just like it, we too were the bomb. We'll see you next time. Oh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>